Good morning. Thank you so much for the, uh, the music. The songs go very well with the message that will uh, come from Mark chapter 1. So if you'll turn to Mark chapter 1, we'll begin our reading at verse uh, 21. As uh, Dr. Helwig shared just a moment ago, referring to Dr. Holmes's messages last week and from the earlier part of Mark uh, chapter 1, how much you see Jesus in action in the book of Mark, immediately, forth, you know, straightway, just now, and so forth. A lot of, of action words there, and his commands to people to repent and to believe, and then the call of his disciples, follow me. And that leads us into verse 21. If you would, let's stand as we read from Mark chapter 1. This occurs after the calling of the first four disciples. Verse 21, then they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching, because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then they were all amazed. So they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick. And those who were demon-possessed, the whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went and made his way to a deserted place and was praying there. Simon and his companions went searching for him. They found him and said, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Let's again go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the example of Jesus we have here. Father, I pray you will help us to learn something from the, the words here, I pray that your spirit will open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Father, I pray you will forgive me of my sins and where I'm tempted to be prideful and arrogant. Father, I pray you'll, you'll forgive me and that in these moments we're here, we'll not be distracted, Lord, by anything, but just focus on these words and see how they apply to our lives. And may we apply them, Lord, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
In verse 21, we find again that they went to Capernaum. The passage that Dr. Helwig read just a moment ago from the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter, certainly speaks of, a, of an unresponsive generation of people. Jesus goes through quite a list there uh, describing different ones who had not repented, even though he had done many good works there. Jesus began to list these cities, denounce them, particularly those he had done the most miracles in, and one of those would be Capernaum. And he would say, in reference to Capernaum, if the works that had been done in you had been done in Sodom, that evil city of the Old Testament that was destroyed by fire, if the works that Capernaum had seen and the miracles and the acts of Jesus had been done in Sodom, Sodom would still be around today, Jesus said. But instead... You're not going to be lifted up, Capernaum. You, you think you're going to be lifted up to the heavens. You're going to be exalted. It's going to be the opposite. That you, because you have not repented, even though Christ had come and done many incredible works in that city, her spiritual depravity was such, it would go along with the confession of faith that Dr. Holmes read a moment ago, their depravity was such that they refused to repent. And, and Christ says, you're not going to heaven but you're going to the abode of the dead. So that's the spiritual nature that Jesus finds here at Capernaum. He goes into the synagogue, which was, of course, his custom on the Sabbath, Sabbath day, and he began to teach. And it was customary for visiting uh, people, uh, leaders to speak, and Jesus is allowed to speak, and he amazes the crowd. They're overwhelmed. It might be like a slap in the face to them would be a way of wording that in the Greek language. They are astounded at the teaching of Jesus. And they're comparing or contrasting what Jesus is saying with what they're used to hearing from the scribes. The scribes were professional. Uh, they were trained. They, they studied. They knew they were interpreters on the, the scriptures and, and they were able to tell you how it applied. But one thing the scribes always did was rely upon someone else's authority. They would look back to, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says that. And that's what they always did. That was a lot of the contrast. When Jesus comes and speaks, he's not referring to other people. He's speaking from personal authority. And that, they noticed that. They know the content of his message is authoritative. They also recognize that he himself is authoritative. He can do what he wants to do. They know that. They can tell that. And so they were astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes, his, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then. Or he may have already, you know, it, it's hard to tell. Did he just then come in or was the man already there with an unclean spirit, an unclean, impure spirit? And the man comes in, and we don't really hear from the man. It's the demon that speaks. It's the unclean spirit who speaks to Jesus. And it says, it cries out in a loud voice, What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to ruin us? Now, it's one unclean spirit, but he's speaking in the plural. And it's probably that he's thinking about all demons in general. Or if you come to ruin all of us, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I hate to, to do this, but I'm going to sound like a scribe here for a minute. I'm going to have to rely upon somebody else's thoughts here. And, um, you know, this, this guy here, 
been bothering us all day. Just welcome to my, you know, my parlor, said the spider to the fly. I hope we can edit that out of the, uh, the audio. I'm not going to be distracted by a demon-possessed uh, wasp. So here, here's the thought that, that scholars have said about this. It matches well with what we know about Capernaum. Here's a man that seems to have been in the synagogue and actually quite comfortable who is possessing an unclean spirit. He doesn't say anything until Jesus begins to teach, until he's confronted, we might say, with the words of Jesus. So this unclean spirit is here and it makes sense because we know Capernaum is such an unrepentant city and that an, a man could have an unclean spirit and essentially feel at home or be comfortable in the house of God, again, refers to the, just the depravity of that community. Some scholars say that what the demon may be doing here, what is this deal? Jesus Nazarene, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The thought must be that from that cultural perspective back then, that if you could identify someone for who they really were, you had some kind of control over them. And this is, this is you know, it's, it's possible here from the text. I'm going to give you this idea, though I don't know for sure. But when he says Jesus of Nazarene, Nazarene it may almost be like, well, it'd be like Dr. Helwig coming up here to, to lead us in singing. And he says, I am Bill Jones of Jacksonville, and I'm going to be leading the singing. And I say, Bill Jones, you're, you're Bill Jones of Jacksonville. I know who you really are. You're really David Helwig, professor of the seminary. I got gotcha. you. Your whole little scheme that you're trying to, to, to pull over on us, I know who you are. It's over. And that might be the thing here that the demon is looking and saying, Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you really are. The Holy One of God, I got you. And that may be the way that, that this is. And of course, Jesus' response is, shut up. That's it. It's be quiet. It's, it, it would be the equivalent. Muzzle your mouth and come out of him. I mean, Jesus doesn't play around with it. He's not sitting there playing any game. Here's a man who is in the house of God who has an unclean spirit. And Jesus doesn't sit around and debate about what we ought to do. He just tells him to get quiet and get out of here. And I, and I hate to say this, but we know the passage that was read earlier from the book of Matthew. Jesus is clearly recognized as a friend of sinners. But Jesus is not going to put up with an unclean spirit in the Lord's house. And I've just got to tell you that I think that the opposite occurs in many churches today. There are many of us who have allowed people to come in with unclean spirits and they're very much at home and comfortable in the Lord's house. If we are doing an accurate presentation of biblical truth, they will be confronted with the words of our Lord just as this demon was and they're going to have to leave that man and leave this place. I don't think that Jesus, and what's crazy here, 
Jesus tells him, you know, be quiet, come out of him. And then what does verse 26 say? And the unclean spirit convulsed him, tore him. It was not a pleasant sight. And the unclean spirit as he's coming out is shouting with a loud voice. Some, some would say it's like a death cry. This, this demon, this unclean spirit knows that he's being cast into a place he doesn't want to go. And he's screaming like he's dying. That would not have been a pleasant place. Could you imagine just going to the synagogue like you typically do and you end up having this happen? I think that many people would say, before we take any action against this man who has sin, clearly led by sinful you know, desires and so forth, before we do anything, we better, we better think about what's going to happen to him. We want to do the loving thing. We want to be welcoming to everybody. Now listen, I tell you, do not leave this place thinking that I don't think we ought to welcome everybody to church. But what I'm saying is that a person, when confronted with the gospel and confronted with the words of Christ, there's going to have to be a change in his life. And we can't sit there and say, well, we might hurt his feelings. Back years ago, about, about 20 years ago, I, I got the flu, and I mean I was sick. I felt awful. And I went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, I need to give you a shot. And it was going to be a shot in the hip. And I turned my back on the doctor. And I'm telling you, and I asked. I asked when she was through. I said, because I really thought. And she said, I did not do that. But I'm telling you, I thought she got a running start. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I thought she was over on the other side and ran and jabbed me with that thing. It hurt. But I'll tell you what, I needed it. I needed the help, but it hurt to get that attention. And I'm telling you that there can certainly be, when you have sin in your life, to get rid of it, sometimes it is painful. Sometimes what needs to happen hurts. And this man here goes into a convulsion as this evil spirit leaves him. But that's what needed to be done. We need to love people. We absolutely do. Please don't leave thinking that, the seminary is wanting to hurt people. But sometimes when we've got that unclean spirit in us, it's not going to be an easy removal. It's going to, be, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But we've got to get it out of the man, and we've got to get it out of the Lord's house. We're going to go on. He's going to say that when this is over, well, in verse 27, boy, people, they are extra amazed now. <laughs> they are all amazed. They begin to argue or begin to have a debate with one another, you know, what is this? And they're going back and forth. What is it? Who, who is this? And what's going on? And it, it's a new teaching. And it's not like it's a brand new thing, but it's, it's the quality of it. it. Man, this is quality. There's something about this teaching. And then again, there's something about him. It's taught with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And his fame then spread throughout that entire vicinity of Galilee. And Capernaum's on the like north, just a little bit northwest uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, as soon as they left their synagogue, that's quite, an, that's quite an experience at church. You know, it's a synagogue, but you know what I'm talking about. Because they have that experience. And as soon as that's over, they go, and they go to Simon and Andrew's house. James and John are there. And this is still on the Sabbath. But... Simon's mother-in-law is sick, and they tell Jesus about it. And he goes in and takes her by the hand, and I mean, he just heals her right there. She had had a fever, and he, he raises her up, and 
I, I, I love this passage because it goes on to say that after he's done that, you know, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. And then here's what happens. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. What a great example. When God has worked in your life, well, what are you going to do? Well, well let's, let's get to serving <laughs> right then. Now, when evening came, so the sun has gone down, so the Sabbath has ended now. That's what he's saying here. So when the evening came after the sun had set, then people come alive. It's the next day. They're not having to observe all the Sabbath things. And so they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. Now, this might be a little bit of exaggeration, perhaps, but you get the idea. There's a lot of people coming. I mean, Mark says they brought all the sick. They brought all the demon-possessed. And the whole town was there at the, at the door. And Jesus healed many who were sick and with various diseases and drove out many demons. Now, here you see Jesus... He's concerned about the physical welfare of people, but he's also concerned about their, their spiritual welfare. So they had diseases, the physical things, and he heals that. But then the spiritual thing, these demons there, and Jesus addresses both. I don't know how large Capernaum is. I should have looked that up to get a better idea about how many people were there. But could you imagine having had the service you've had earlier, and then you go and you raise someone uh, you know, up from the fever. And then the whole town shows up. This is like after church on Sunday night. Okay? And you've been busy and you've been working and here comes so many people. And Jesus is involved in healing their physical needs and addressing these spiritual problems. So he does this. And I don't know how long it took. But you could imagine it being tiring and, and wearing you out. The... Uh, Verse 34 says that he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The knowing him is not like they knew him intimately. They knew who he was. They had intellect of him, but they didn't have a personal relationship with him. And it's interesting how he would not let the demons speak of him. Well, why would you want demons going and telling people who you are? Would you want demons to be your message bearer? You know, no. Even if they're speaking the truth, you know, how's it going to come across What's going to be the, the message, really? And Jesus, it's early in his ministry, and he's not ready to make those proclamations yet. Okay? Jesus had some patience. And sometimes we're not that patient. In fact, Simon wasn't that patient. What's going to happen in verse 35, early in the, the, the morning, while it was still dark. Now think, after the day he's had, and people being there, probably late into the night, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and he was praying there. We sang a couple songs about, before you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Taking time to be holy. Jesus did. Even when involved in full-blown ministry, and you know he had to be tired. He made that time to spend with his father. And I think when I read this passage, this is a, I probably feel guilty 
every time I read this passage. It's one of the disciple way passages, so it comes across every once in a while. It's not like one I can read and forget. You know, I see it. And I would just say, it's not a commandment. It does not command us to get up early in the morning before dark. But we see the example of Christ that even when ministry is highly involved, and it may be the case here at the seminary that you find yourself sometimes late night doing papers and things like that. Listen, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to do that. And we all need that. I think we all need that reminder from time to time and that encouragement. Well, Simon and his companions, verse 36, well, they, they went searching for Jesus. They went hunting for him. And they found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. I think Peter probably has an enthusiasm with that. Hey, this deal's going well for you, Jesus. I mean, everybody. Last night, everybody was coming to see you. Now, everybody's still looking for you. I mean, everybody. That's quite successful sounding to me. But Jesus, again, demonstrates his patience to stay focused on what he's been sent to do. Not to go with the crowd. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be tempted to go with the crowd? If somebody came up to you and said, hey, your sermon last night, incredible. Everybody wants to hang around you. Everybody wants to follow you. Yeah, I'd be tempted. Well, well, <laughs> I'll be over here, you know, in a, an hour if everybody wants to come visit with me. But Jesus refuses to do that. What, in fact, Jesus leaves them. He says, you know, to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He refused to be distracted. He refused to be tempted by the supposed success of everybody wants to join in to going and doing the mission that he had been sent. We talk about Jesus having authority. It's clear from this passage that even though Jesus had this authority, right here he recognizes that he's, been, he's under authority. His father sent him to do a mission. And he's not going to forsake that mission. He went into all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You know, the, the message that Jesus had here, again, this is early in the Gospels. But he says, I've got to go preach. But ultimately, he's going to make disciples as well. And he's going to go and he's going to die on that cross. That would be his measure of success, is to do the will of him who sent me. Interesting, I had an opportunity with a couple of our students to attend a conference uh, in early January. And there were some Muslims there. I'd never thought about this, but these Muslims shared that in their view, Jesus was a failure. As evidenced by the fact that they crucified him. The fact that they did not listen to his message, people rejected his message and forced themselves, you know, to, upon him and crucified him. And without saying much more about that conference, I did share this one thing. I said, it's interesting that you look at it that way. But Jesus said this, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. 
of my own accord so that I can take it up again. So Jesus had a bigger plan than appealing to everybody. Jesus knew they were superficial. He knew it was a shallow wanting to be around him. But he refused to be distracted by the success of everyone being around and losing his commitment to preaching that message. And later, as the gospel's complete, we know his concern for making disciples and the work he had at the cross. Now, what can we learn about Jesus here? There's a lot, but we learned certainly about his authority. He had a message that had power and authority. It was of a quality. He personally had authority, his authority, his teaching was like no one else's. He dealt with unclean spirits that were in the house of God. He just dealt with it. He also cared about the physical and spiritual conditions of, of others. And he recognized the authority that had been commissioned, had, had sent him on mission. I think there's some examples that we can follow from this passage. We can deal with unclean sin when it's in the Lord's house. We need to do that according to God's word, Christ's word, and Christ's authority, not our own. We can also follow the example of helping others, but remembering to pray as Jesus did. We can also follow his example of avoiding the temptation to pursue success and be distracted from the real purpose to which we've been called. We can be like his mother-in-law, uh, Simon's mother-in-law, who, when healed, immediately began to serve. So does your ministry rely upon Christ's authority, or like the scribes, does it rely upon what all the experts say? Really, I want to focus on what Christ says about how to do ministry. Do you deal with sin in your church? Again, I want everyone to feel welcome to attend, but do you deal with sin? Or do you just let it go? Do you allow it, do you allow sin to find a comfortable spot and place in your church? How's your prayer life? Are you focused on His purpose? Do you care about both the physical and spiritual needs of others? There's a lot in this passage. And it continues on, but that's what we're going we're gonna to close with uh, today. Um, Let's pray.